I am thankful. I see kind of uh, I connect well when when Jesus teaches simply, and so I'm thankful that He gives us the Lord's Supper, gives us that moment where we can really connect with what He's done for us and see it simply in the sake of broken bread and and a juice that looks like blood and. Though it's difficult to even think about that, and some of us are squeamish when we think about blood, it's very symbolic and it's very simple for us to remember what, what he's done for us. And I think as, um, just as a person who's, who's trying his best to lead others in obedience to Christ, um, I think those simple things that we can grab onto and hold onto are really important for us. And when we have moments like the, the Lord's Supper, I see it as a, a great opportunity for us to, to worship Him in a different way. Many times we say um, uh, worship is just uh, through singing or maybe worship and preaching if you're a preacher and you want to claim a little bit in, in worship, you know. Uh, but the elements and the, the, the really the way that the Lord's Supper provides for us that moment of worship, that we get to experience um, worship in a, in a different way than we're, we're used to is great for us to get our minds and our hearts wrapped around what Christ has done. We're going to continue on in Ephesians um, for, the, for the rest of uh, my tenure here. feels like <laughs> it's going to be a long time. Uh, but uh, we're going to start, uh, kind of do some, um, some backtracking here and talk about starting Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, last week we, we ended our prayer study talking about how the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. And here we are in February, and uh, thanks to Hallmark, uh, February becomes this love month. And so, uh, so we talk a lot about love. And so, um, so anyways, it just so happens that uh, today we're going to talk again about, about love. Kind of continuing on a little bit with uh, this, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Um, I hope that you remember remember that. Um, well, last week we talked about culture of complaint and how we're we're supposed to be thankful people for for what Christ has done for us. And I'll make a confession to you. Uh, Gerald's wife Mary held me accountable one moment this week. I was uh, being sarcastic about something, and it sa- and she said, "It sounds like you need to remember that the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever." <laughs> and I said, "Who are you to preach at me? Come on now." So, anyways. Uh, I think we do we do need those reminders often uh, that we we forget about the steadfast love of the Lord, something that He's given us to model, something that He's given us to demonstrate to others. And so, when we get to Ephesians chapter five, we've been talking about unity. If you remember anything about our, our study on Ephesians and the church in Ephesus, Paul's really been trying to hammer home um, the fact that unity is necessary for the gospel to be shared. Unity in the church is necessary uh, if the if people are going to be equipped. Unity is necessary if the gifts that you've given um, are going to be used for kingdom work. Unity is, is necessary. And we have to also remember that we're unified together as a church because we've been adopted together because of Christ. A symbol this morning. This new covenant that we have in Christ that he shed his blood for us. He was signing the adoption papers in a way when he gave his life on the cross. He signed those adoption papers and saying, no longer are you a a part of this family, but instead you've been adopted into this family and you have all inheritance because, because because of Christ. That's when I think, I mean, Jesus paid it all is one of my favorite songs because it simply says, 
Jesus paid it all. I mean, there's no, there's nothing else we can do. We can't do extra. I'm so thankful for that. I mean, I live in a house where there's someone in my household who always wants to do extra. She wants to be the first one to turn in paper. She wants to have the best grade. And, you know, there's that sense of competitiveness. And I'm the opposite of that. Let's just do enough to get by. And Jesus paid it all for both of us, you know? And that's, that's incredible that we have a Savior who's willing to pay even for me, if you know what I'm saying. And so here we have in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul's reminded us about unity. He's reminded us about adoption. He's reminded us it is not about us at all. It's all about Jesus. And then he gets to chapters 5 and 6 of Ephesians, and he reminds us that, and I love, I'm going to steal what J.D. Greer says. He says, oftentimes we think we're living on a playground. And we think this place that we're living on or in is a playground. But Paul reminds us that it is actually a battleground. I mean, if we were truly at war, and we're on a battleground, I don't see many of us swinging in swings or sliding down slides or going on the seesaw or playing video games while we're waiting. I mean, if it's a battleground and not a playground, then we're alert. We're ready for what's coming next. We're mindful that we are at war. And too many, including myself, wake up one day, wake up in the morning, and we just say, hey, this is a playground for my joy and my pleasure. And we forget about the war that's raging on. We forget that we are on a battleground. And we have to be prepared for that. So what better way to fight war than with love, right? It doesn't make sense. I mean, who shoots bullets of love? Let's send missiles of love. Let's see if that does any destruction. Paul reminds us that we're at war. And because of that... We have to be imitators of God. So Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says, says this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. So how are we going to imitate him? Well, verse 2 says, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So I don't know if you smelt the bread when it was in your hand this morning. But when you got the broken bread and it was in your hand, if you could smell it, that, that fragrance, in a sense, in worship, should remind you of the fragrant offering that Christ paid for you or offered up for you. When you got the juice and you're smelling it, that smell should remind you, I mean, simply stated here, should remind you of the fragrant offering that Christ offered up for us. Some of you are like, that's really weird. I mean, next Lord's Supper, if I look over and Gary's sniffing the bread, I'm going to say, well, what's going on here? And he's going to get way too much into worship, almost seems charismatic that somebody would sniff the broken bread. We're to be imitators of God, beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I mean, I think most of us are aware of the division in our world today. I think most of us are aware of the hatred in our, in our world today. I mean, most of us are even aware of cool sl- sayings or slogans. I almost said slayings. But cool slogans or sayings like, um, you, you've probably seen this one, like uh, love trumps hate. You know, those who are protesting against uh, certain decisions or whatever would, would hold the sign that says love trumps hate. Hey, it's a play on words there. I don't know if you're familiar with, but we have a new president. His last name is Trump. 
All right, and uh, and some would say that he's um, he's he's hateful to others. So they would say love would would trump that. Well, would go over that. Would would uh, take out hate or whatever if you just love enough. And I think from from most of us that have grown up in a church world or in a religious setting, we're familiar with John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave us His Son. Why? So that we could be inheritors of eternal life. So that we could be freed from the the slavery of sin. So that we wouldn't have to experience death, but Christ in His love would experience it for us. And Romans five tells us that just at the right time. When we're weak as sinners, God would step in and show this great, graceful love that is that He has, and He would take our place and take sin away from us and free us from that slavery of death. We're understanding of, of what love is. But how often do we actually model that? I mean, if you were to ask yourself, let's just say um, you go to a... Uh, a restaurant, and as the waitress or waiter comes over, the server comes to greet you, if you were to ask yourself that old school 1990s saying, what would Jesus do? You, you remember that, maybe. Uh, you know, you might start thinking, uh, how, how would Jesus tip this person? Uh, how would Jesus respond if, um, if maybe let's make it a real uh, difficult situation for us? How would Jesus respond if I ordered sweet tea and it happens to be at a place that they serve alcohol and the sweet tea and the alcohol look similar and when she comes to fill up my sweet tea, refill my sweet tea, she actually fills it with something else that I'm not even allowed to look at because I'm Southern Baptist. How do we, how would we respond in that? How, what do we say to the, to the server, to the waitress or waiter? How, how to respond. So we might tell us, well, what would Jesus do in this situation? But if we're to be imitators of, of God and walk in love as Christ has walked in love, then our, our question might be, how would Christ love this person? That, that makes it real. Because we, we might come to the conclusion where we say, what would Jesus do? We might come to the conclusion, well, Jesus would turn the table and walk away. <laughs> you brought... The stalest chips I've ever seen. And so I'm going to turn the table, because you've made this place into a den of robbers. I'm going to turn the table and I'm going to walk away. That's what Jesus would do. But how would Jesus, how would Jesus love this person? That's important for us to recognize. Especially when we fill in the name, when we fill in the blank with a name. How would Jesus love Coach Riggins? Or how would Jesus love Mandy Thackerson? Or how would Jesus love John Bernard? When we start filling in names, it makes it personal. Like Christ would make it personal. How would Christ love me? Well, he demonstrates that. And so if you think about Paul riding to the church in Ephesus, telling them that we need to be imitators of God and we need to walk in love as Christ kind of models that, we have to look back at Christ and his modeling of that. We have to look at him and say, how would he love this particular person? Or how does he love this particular person? Or how will he love this particular person. Like when we say Jesus paid it all, and there's, and the psalm says that my sin is as far as the east is from the west removed from me. Well, when I make a mistake and I think about how will Christ love me in that, he forgives me in that. That's how he loves me in that. So we have to begin thinking about that. We want to be people who are imitating God. We want to walk in love as Christ modeled that for us. 
So we have to have a good understanding of what love actually is. So turn to First Thessalonians. No, don't turn to First Thessalonians, but turn to First Corinthians, chapter thirteen. <laughs> this is um, typically called the the chapter of love or the way of love. And so I want us to make a connection here while you're turning to First Corinthians chapter thirteen. So when Paul is in Ephesus, uh, he he writes to the church in Corinth, and you, you probably know some stuff about Corinth. Um, it was a great city. It was like a a city that had a variety of people. There were lots of different people. There were lots of different cultures. There were lots of, lots of different, um, you know, socioeconomic statuses. There's rich people, poor people, in between people. I mean, this, Corinth is a, a, a great city. There are many gods within that city. There are many ways to live life in that city. Does it sound familiar at all to anything that you're experiencing today? There are many gods in our country that we reside in. There are many ways to live life in this country that we reside in. There are many ways to, uh, there's uh, different uh, statuses, socioeconomic. There's poor people, rich people, in-between people. I mean, there's just a variety of different people. And so as Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, they're dealing with a, a culture very similar to ours. A country, a city similar to ours. How do Christians, how do followers of Christ walk in a sinful society? How do Christians walk in a society that's not holy in any means? They're not pure in any means. They worship many different gods. They don't worship the God. So how do Christians live in that society? And he writes from Ephesus to the church in Corinth, and he writes chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. And he gives us this example of what love actually is. And he says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now here's the cool thing as Baptists, and I'm going to say traditional Baptists. We connect with that well. We don't want no drums up there, Pastor. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> because it's a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Like we understand the noisy gong and the clanging cymbal. And Paul's saying, if I speak in the tongues of men, and of angels. So I can speak in all kinds of languages. Languages on the earth, languages from heaven. If I can speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So if you don't have love in your language, you're just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Not many people say, oh, what did you listen to today? Well, there's a new radio station out, and all it is is a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal all day long. It's my favorite. It's my new jam. Like That's what I want to listen to nonstop. I've got it on repeat. Noisy gong, clanging cymbal. That's the, that's the new name of Brian's new praise team. Verse 2 says this, and, I have, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. Some of us, though, say, Paul, come on. I mean, seriously, if somebody can move mountains, I don't care if they love me or not. Like, they got power to move mountains. Are you telling me that they have power to move mountains? I'm impressed by that. I could care less if they have love. Well, you have to think, okay, Christ had power to move mountains. He could have moved those mountains anywhere. He could have put mountains on top of things. You know, he could have looked at cities and said, ah, oh, it's a disaster. Let's just put a mountain on top of them. Easily. He could have done that. But with love, he decides, let's be different. Let's love differently. 
Verse 3, if I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I have gained nothing. I mean, that's what we look for in the church. I mean, as a pastor, I think obedience to Christ looks like this. Giving up everything that you have. Living your life for Christ and being a martyr. Let it be burned. Let your body be burned up. But if you don't have love, you've gained nothing. So there's something about this love business that's really important. That we would be imitators of God, walking in love like Christ has shown for us. And we have to have a good, a good definition of what love is. Verse 4 says this. Here comes the definition. Love is patient. I mean, we could spend the rest of the year talking about love being patient. Because most of the time, we do not know patient love. We don't know it. We haven't experienced true patient love except through, through Christ. And if we can get our mind wrapped around the patient love of Christ and the patient love of, of the Father, then we, we might could experience that and, and show that to others. But as far as our worldly relationships, do we really understand what patient love is? Maybe some of us do. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. How many of us know people who are envious people, who are boastful people, who would also say, I love you in my envy, and I love you, and I'm going to boast about that. I love you, and I don't care who knows it. I'm going to boast all day long about how much I love you. It is not arrogant. Love is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable and resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. When Paul is telling us, and telling the church in Ephesus, to be imitators of God as beloved children, to walk in love, like the idea here is this, that we would be walking this way. But as we're allowing Christ and His Holy Spirit to live through us, and we are actually literally walking for Him, genuinely walking for Him, we want to walk in love, this is what our life should look like. I mean, reflect back. I mean, if you're at my funeral, my hope is that you would say, He models walking in love as He models Christ, and this is what His life is. His, his love is patient. His love is kind. He wasn't envious or boastful. He's not arrogant or rude. I mean, those are the things that we're looking at when we say we want to walk in love, that we would be people who model these things. Verse 8 says this, love never ends. I mean, in our world today, people are in love all the time. They say, well, we are, um, we're separated. Uh, our marriage just isn't going to last. Well, why? What, what happened? Oh, we just don't love each other anymore. Ah, okay. Well, biblically, love never ends, so obviously something was gone wrong from the beginning. I mean, if you're saying that your love ended, love, genuine love, doesn't end. In fact, steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. And so we have to we model that. And as people who are walking in this culture today, this divided culture, we have to be mindful of walking in love as Christ modeled it for us, that we would be imitators of God, and that we would love like God would desire for us to love. Verse 8 again, love never ends. As for, as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. 
When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. And think about the author of those, those words. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, God breathes them through Paul as he pins them down. But think about Paul writing them down. Paul, the one that was persecuting the church. Paul that knows the law. Paul, the one that could, could demolish any argument when it came to the law. I mean, he could do those things. And Paul's writing, I, I know, all, I experienced all those things. And when I met Christ, and I saw the love of Christ, and I saw his grace and his mercy, my mentality changed. The greatest of those things that I was taught, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of all those that I recognize is love is the greatest. We have to walk in that. Think, I mean, if this was to happen, God needs no counsel, okay? I'm not, I'm not saying, I don't want you to come away from here thinking that God needs counsel or wisdom. He has all counsel. He has all wisdom. But if for a moment he had a board meeting, and his staff was around, and they're sitting at the table, and they're discussing things or that are going on in the world, and he would say something like, uh, what's the greatest need in our world? What's the trouble? Well, somebody says, hey, I, I know what it is. Well, what is it? Well, the greatest problem is our enemy. Okay, all right, we figure that out. It's our enemy. So what do we need to do about our enemy? And, oh, I know exactly what we need to do about our enemy. Let's destroy them. Let's destroy the works of our enemy. Let's destroy the enemy. All right, and, you know, maybe there's cheers. And yeah, that's what we're going to do. We're coming up with a plan. We're going to destroy the enemy. And so God says, okay, but how, how, do we, how do we destroy the enemy? And if for a second this would happen, like I imagine Christ raising his hand and saying, I've, I've got an idea. All right, well, you are seated at the right hand, so come on with your ideas. Tell me what your idea is. I say the way we destroy the enemy is we love them. Maybe there's roars, but it's roars of laughter because it doesn't make sense. Matthew chapter 5, we'll end here. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 43. Here's Jesus, his words. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. What a weird statement for Christ to make. Does he not know there's no way I can be perfect. Paul reminds me, be an imitator of God. Walk in love. Jesus is saying, be perfect. Love perfectly as your heavenly Father loves perfectly. What a difficult task, God. What a difficult task that you would put on us. That those who are following you, those who desire to be obedient to you, you've called us to, to love perfectly. 
You've called us to love those who are an enemy. You've called us to walk in the love of Christ and to show love as patience, as kind, as not envious, as not boastful, as not rude, as not keeping record of wrongdoing. You've called us to bear all things, believe all things, hope all things. You've called us to do that. Do you not understand how difficult that is? Hey, I'm leaving you, but I'm not leaving you alone. There's one I'm going to live with you, the comforter, that I'm going to leave with you that's going to encourage you, that's going to give you power to love perfectly as God loves perfectly. I will leave you a helper to help you and assist you, to to remind you that you are not on the playground, that you are on a battleground, and that the world is divided. And the only hope, the only hope the world has is the love of Christ. And I hope we as people who have gathered this morning to worship Christ, we have gathered in the name of Christ, my hope would be this, that we would walk as Christ walked and that we would be imitators of God and we would love perfectly as God loves perfectly. Let's pray together. I don't know, don't know any other way to say it, but I am so thankful